health issues have always been important in trucking, you know, DOT physicals or whether drivers qualified or disqualified. Uh, and the importance is even more so now in this era of the COVID pandemic. So I thought it'd be a great time to check in with Dr. Natalie Hartenbaum, occupational physician, author of the DOT medical exam, uh, and has her pulse on what is going on today and just as importantly, what's coming. Uh, one quick note, we taped this in uh, end of September. So double check some of the dates and timelines on this. But Dr. Hartenbaum gives us some great information with regard to where we are and where we're going. So, uh, hey, thanks very much. Let's get started. Things are changing quickly, and these regulations are no exception. Since we recorded this last week and posting it today, September 28th, the enforcement discretion for SAPs and other service agents has been extended until the end of the year. That'll be in one of the later sections, but I want to give you the heads up. And we're here today with Natalie Hartenbaum, President, Chief Medical Officer of OcuMedics. Uh, Dr. Hartenbaum is an occupational medicine physician, uh, member of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. And doctor, I think you've been past president, right? That's correct. And That's also the a, uh, author of the DOT medical examination. Thank you for joining us today, doctor. Thank you. Doctor, uh, wh where do we stand on the emergency declarations for the medical and drug and alcohol issues on the DOT uh, physicals in this emergency? Okay. Well, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the past uh, six months, really, as far as what's required under DOT, whether it's drug testing, whether it's medical examination. And early on, the different agencies and the Department of Transportation itself issued some guidance that they were going to be uh, allowing enforcement discretion on a number of different areas. And one of the ones that concerned a lot of medical examiners was the medical certificates. A lot of examiners were either not seeing patients, did not feel comfortable having their offices open, and a lot of drivers were concerned about being able to get into the office or even to go into a medical type of facility. And many of them were just quite busy. So the initially was extended uh, that if a driver had a medical certificate, that expired after February 28th and before March 1st, that they could continue to drive for a short period of time. That was extended and then extended again. And the current status of the enforcement discretion for the medical examiner certificates um, is a little bit confusing, but if the driver was certified um, prior to March 1st and had at least a 90-day certification, so it's 30-day certification would not be eligible, at least 90 days, they could continue to operate um, through October 31st, 2020. If the driver's medical certificate expired on or after June 1st, then they could continue to operate until December 31st under this emergency declaration. So, the, if, the driver, so if the driver's in that window where their expiration would have been between March 1st and June 20th, then they're good until October 31st. June 1st, but correct. But then after June 1st, they're good till December 31st. That's also correct. So the important thing, that, however, is that if the driver develops any medical condition that requires um, to be reevaluated, they have a cardiac event, if they have a seizure, if they have diabetes that's gotten worse, they still need a new examination. And that still does fall back to the employer to make certain that those drivers that have issues are examined. 
Uh, drivers who have an exemption that expires should still be getting that exemption updated. The exemptions are being reviewed. They are being received. And uh, even this morning, there were a couple of uh, exemption announcements in the Federal Register. So those drivers do still need that updated exam or updated exemption process done. What type of exemptions are you talking about, Doctor? Uh, the, the vision exemption, the hearing exemption, or the seizure exemptions. I remember Perfect. that the diabetes exemption process has essentially now been eliminated, and the drivers have to follow the new requirement of having the form filled out by their treating clinician, and then the examiner is still reviewing that clinician's form to make the determination on certification. This next section is the one I spoke about at the beginning where there's been a change since we recorded this last week. The enforcement discretion for SAPs and other service agents has been extended until the end of the year. Just make that note as you get through the next section. Okay, thanks. Doctor, where do we stand on drug and alcohol testing at this point? Well, drug and alcohol testing, there's been a number of changes as well. From the very beginning, the Office of Drug and Alcohol Policy and Compliance announced um, that there would be some discretion, that there was certainly an understanding that the uh, drivers may not be able to meet the, uh, or to have their drug testing done, drug or alcohol testing done. Again, given availability, given concern over blowing out into the breath testing machine. Um, and the agencies then issued their own specific guidance as time went on. And again, kept updating that and updating that as well. Focusing here really on the FMCSA, they recognize that it may be difficult for employers, carriers to meet their random testing requirements over the course of 2020. They recognize that it may not be able to easily space them over the full year. And if that's the case, they would have um, that discretion on enforcement action. However, employers, carriers are still expected to make reasonable efforts to get that done, even if it means a catch-up when you're hitting November and December. The expectation is that if you're absolutely unable to, that you document well that you've made the attempts and then what the situation was, you were unable to meet those requirements. For pre-employment testing, it's always been on the regulations that if a driver had been in a uh, program within the past 30 days, a, a compliant drug and alcohol testing program, had been subject to random testing, he did not need a new pre-employment test prior to starting uh, performing safety-sensitive duties. That's been extended to 90 days. So if the driver's driver's been in that program for 90 days prior, within the past 90 days, they would not need a new drug or drug test, preference CSA at least. This expires the end of this month. As of now, I've not heard it being extended. I would not be surprised if it is. As far as post-accidentable accident and reasonable suspicion testing, the expectation is that every, every, every effort is made to be done, whether it means having a, a collector come on site, whether it means finding multiple possible collection sites, depending on where it might be needed. But if it's absolutely positively impossible, again, that discretion on both timing and whether it's done or not um, can be done, but must be documented. And then finally, ODAPSI reminded all agencies that the final decision of whether or not a individual who's supposed to be tested doesn't show up is due to a reasonable explanation or a refusal belongs to the carrier. So they, you know, at least early on really ask employers to give some real understanding and discretion, understanding what the situation is, what the availability might be, what the safety concerns might be in making that reasonable explanation versus refusal decision. Uh, the final big thing that which uh, related to the emergency declaration 
uh, from ODAPSI is the substance abuse professional interviews and then also service agent training. Uh, this also expires in September, the end of September, but as of now or under regulations, the substance abuse professional interview was supposed to take place in person. Recognizing that that may not be possible, ODAPSI says, yes, it's okay to do it uh, remotely using a webinar, using a video conferencing type of setting, as long as the technology exists, as long as the SAC can adequately assess that individual's uh, demeanor, their, their interview process, and make the decision based on any personal cues that they may be able to obtain. As far as service agent training, recognition, again, that some um, MROs, SAPs, collectors, et cetera, may be due for training. And that discretion on having the training done has now been extended to September 30th. So if you're due for training and you haven't gotten it yet, you need to start thinking about getting it shortly because that discretion will be going away soon. Again, unless that's extended, haven't heard anything yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is extended for another uh, 90 days at this point. Dr. 100 point toss up question. What's new generally in occupational medicine as a department well, of trucking? A lot's been going on. Um, I'm not sure if we talked to this group before about the most recent medical review board meeting at the end of April, which was quite interesting. Once again, trying to update that medical examiner handbook. Um, the medical examiner handbook has been shortened from 260 pages to about 70. It has very little what I look at as true guidance, but it also has no cookbook recipes. Uh, many examiners were looking for the, if the driver has XYZ condition, there's a waiting period of this long, there's a certification period of this long, and you do this when they recertify. That's pretty much not there in this current draft. What was interesting in the draft is that there was the medical advisory criteria, which had not been included in the 2019 draft, is now included. The reference to the medical expert panel and medical review board recommendations are essentially not included in the current draft, with the exception of traumatic brain injuries and um, obstructive sleep apnea. With the TBI, it's mentioned just a couple of the recommendations from that expert panel. For obstructive sleep apnea, it essentially includes the entire uh, guidance that had been issued by the 2016 Medical Review Board, which caused a lot of uproar. But needless to say, there's a lot of guidance out there that examiners should be using and should be reviewing whether or not it's in the Medical Examiner Handbook. While there was the expectation that there would be an MRB meeting in the fall, it's now looking like it probably won't be until early next year. Hopefully we'll have one. Maybe it will be sooner, but I'm not really sure about that. Um, one of the most amazing things and interesting things to come out of that meeting was actually the unearthing, and maybe that's not the best term for, of a 2013 cardiovascular medical expert panel um, recommendations. And what they had done was offered recommendations to the old cardiovascular recommendation tables. A lot of changes. There were a lot of differences on um, MI, on um, bypass. There were some recommendations on uh, syncope. One of the big recommendation changes was it didn't include recommendations on stress testing. Most examiners are used to a stress test being required after a cardiac event, maybe every year, maybe every five years, depending on the situation. The only place that a stress test was, rec was even commented was under um, mitral valve stenosis. But made it even more interesting, there was no specific guidelines as to what an acceptable stress test would be. And in those situations where it had been previously recommended, it was stress test if recommended by a provider. So it was very vague, and I think examiners are going to have to really look carefully um, on how they want to handle this. 
These are not officially um, endorsed. These are not official FMCSA recommendations. They are just another tool for the medical examiner to be using. There are things in there that make a lot of sense. Um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy had been disqualifying by the old handbook, the old recommendation tables. Over the years since that has been written, we recognize that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is not a single condition. There are very low risk and there are very high risk individuals with that disease. And with the new recommendations, it did break that down a little better. And one of the other recommendations was actually changing the, the hypertensive guidelines. And I don't want to go into this in too much detail because I think it will confuse everyone, but it really recommended changing the number um, where the driver would be absolutely disqualified and what the acceptable number is. Now, one of the other reasons I don't want to go into it is I think there's a typo where at one point it talks about 160 and one point they talk about 169 as the upper limit of acceptable. Um, in most places, quite honestly, it talks about the 169 or 170 over 100 as being that blood pressure of concern. So you may see some examiners using a little bit of discretion um, on driver's blood pressure, whether it's acceptable or not. The other things which have been coming up through FMCSM with the exemptions, um, the vision exemption may go away. The FMCSA is in the process of preparing to publish a notice on the vision standard uh, where examiners would make the decision on their own, very much like what's happening with diabetes right now. With hearing, the National Association for the Deaf has petitioned that the hearing requirement essentially be eliminated, and that would indeed eliminate the need for a hearing exemption. FMCSA is in the process of collating the comments from that um, announcement, and they'll be putting out a public, uh, I guess, a, a proposed rulemaking in the uh, not-too-distant future. And then finally, seizures. This has become very interesting over the past couple of weeks, especially. The seizure exemption program is still underway. Several uh, announcements in the past two days, even, on seizure exemptions. FMCSA is commissioning, in a, commissioning a study to look at the literature on seizures, on the risk of recurrence, looking at the other countries as well as what state requirements are on seizure disorders. The plan is to have a report to FMCSA by 2021 and potentially modify that seizure exemption program based on that finding. Now, what had happened about two weeks ago is that FMCSA has been in the process of updating their website. And rather than putting the date that a document, a guidance, a question was originally posted, it appears that it was posted anew. So the seizure exemption application is on a webpage which has a, a date within the past 30 days. It was being reviewed and included in there provoked and unprovoked seizures and many other conditions where a seizure exemption might be applicable. This was, I believe, misinterpreted by a couple of examiners and some others to mean that even if the driver is off medication, has never been on medication, has been seizure-free for 20 years, they all would need a seizure exemption, which of course created a lot of discussion and I hope it was not too extensive among the examiner community. FMCSA earlier, I forget what day it is, last week came out with an announcement that basically said the seizure exemption program has not changed. The seizure exemption program is for those drivers who do not meet the standard because they are on anti-seizure medication or have not met what is a generally accepted waiting period based on that medical advisory criteria. But remembering the advisory criteria are advisory and the examiner still has some discretion as long as the driver doesn't have that current clinical diagnosis of epilepsy, you know, requiring anti-seizure medication. So 
Nothing's changed yet on seizures. And then finally, going on to the under-21 driver pilot program, we already have in place a program for those military drivers who are under age 21 to be able to operate in interstate commerce. The, this proposal has a pilot program planned that would allow drivers who are under 21 to operate in, essentially an apprentice-type program in interstate commerce for a brief period of time, have it assessed, and then let them operate for another 280 days. Um, and then have it assessed after that. So this would be a pilot program for those under 21 drivers to be operating in interstate commerce. It's important to remember that those drivers that are in intrastate commerce only, defined by the transportation, the commerce, not by the driver themselves. So a driver who starts in Pennsylvania, drives to the border of New Jersey, and stops, but the, his truck is then picked up by another driver and driven into New Jersey. They are both involved in interstate commerce and then have to meet the federal motor carrier safety regulations, not just the state. The reason I'm pointing this out is there are a number of drivers who truly operate only in intrastate commerce. Intrastate commerce in many states will allow a driver under age 21. So that's about the, the big headlines on medical. Doctor, we've had a lot of changes recently, a lot of proposals in the drug and alcohol field. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, there's been a number of changes, and the first one is the custody control form. Um, there has been a new custody control form published. It can be used. It is not required to be used. And, in fact, um, FMCSA is urging, Department of Transportation is urging that this form not be used because it does include a lot of changes related to oral fluid testing. Oral fluid testing has not yet been approved in the Department of Transportation. The steps to do oral fluid testing have not been fully, uh, have not been published and have not been fully approved and identified. So don't use a form until you need to. Um, so that new form has come out. The oral fluid testing, as I said, we now have the mandatory guidelines from this Department of Health and Human Services. We're waiting for the Department of Transportation to give the details of how that uh, group, the Department of Transportation, would implement those changes. And at that point, we hope we can start doing oral fluid testing. Given that DOT is recommending that the form not be used and distributed until in about mid-year, mid I'm suspicious that we probably will have oral fluid testing by about that time. Another significant change is that the proposed mandatory guidelines for hair testing has been published by the Department of Health and Human Services, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. And the recommendation, because hair testing looks at a much longer duration, a window of detection, than the urine or even oral fluid testing might, the current expectation it will only be used for pre-employment or for um, random drug testing. It would not be used for post-accident, not be used for reasonable suspicion. The initial recommendation would be that, that any time a drug test is collected using hair, another specimen also be collected, whether it's urine or whether it's oral fluid, and at least initially um, it is going to be required that every agency that's using hair also has a method for tech collecting either urine or oral fluid as well. Again, in the beginning, doing both, but in the process, having to have both just in the case the individual doesn't have enough hair to be able to provide that uh, specimen. So those are the really big things, and, and nothing changes yet. Um, the new form, as I mentioned, this is what it's going to look like. It is um, the, now the CDL state and number is going to be included. Uh, that includes whether it's state or federal. There certainly will be some drivers in FMCSA who do not have a CDL, knowing that the uh, weight for a commercial motor vehicle differs between CDL and 
medical exam requirement. It allows other information for the collector for perhaps an email. But the biggest changes really have to do with oral fluid, as I mentioned. And now the collector would be able to use the same CCF for both and would mark off whether it's a urine or oral fluid collection. And then down it comes what type of oral fluid is done, whether it's serial, concurrent, subdivided, and then um, what each device's expiration date is. So that's the, what the form is going to look at. There's some other subtle changes on the other pages. Um, there's an added line for the driver's email. Um, there's, there's instructions for completing the form have been removed, and the collectors are referred just to the ODAPSI's um, webpage on how to properly complete the form. Now, uh, again, I mentioned the WENS. The WENS is June 1st, 2021. Um, laboratories are advised not to start distributing these forms unless uh, collectors run out of them. That the old form can be used up until August 30th, 2021, but the new form must be used beginning September 1st, 2021. So we have a little time before it's required, um, and, and my urging is to please not start using it until at least mid-next year once oral fluid has been per, um, permitted, essentially, in federal drug and alcohol testing programs. So that's about all that I have for today. Um, I'm sure things will continue to change, and I'm sure things will continue to get a bit confusing over the next several months. Doctor, thank you as always. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.